So we pick up today our study in the book of Revelation. It's been about a month since uh, we have been in this grand book. So I invite you today to turn with me uh, to Revelation chapter 10. If you uh, did not bring a Bible with you, there's one in front of you in the pew rack, or we're going to put this on the screen as well. Can you imagine 40 miles west of Ephesus, right there in the heart of the Aegean Sea, there's a place called Patmos. Patmos was nothing more really than a Roman penal colony. It's where they placed their hardened criminals, uh, rapists, murderers, were exiled to this colony called uh, Patmos. It's a rock quarry island. It's a fascinating place. Almost 10 years ago, I was traveling in that part of the world, and we got off of our ship, and we took a little excursion, and we made our way in the Aegean Sea into this very place called Patmos, and we got out. And we went to a little amphitheater. It was really almost surreal for me because having studied Revelation and having preached through this book once before in my ministry, it was, it was such a grand opportunity for me just to actually be there where John, literally the apostle, beloved, aged John, where he lived and where he received this vision, this apocalypsis, if you will, this unveiling of Jesus Christ. And as we were there, uh, two things stood out stand out in my mind. First of all, uh, Dr. Ed Heinsohn from Liberty University stood up and he preached on all 22 chapters of the book of Revelation. All 22 chapters. It did not take him two years like it's going to take me. It took him 45 minutes. 45 minutes. He covered the entire book of Revelation and uh, I, was, I was just amazed. It had already taken me a year and a half, and there he was in 45 minutes. And then they said, come with us, we want to show you something. And we walked around the side of that amphitheater, and we looked into a cave. And I looked in that cave, and they said, please be quiet. No sound, no noises. What do you see? And as I looked real carefully, I saw people. Really, I saw dozens and dozens of people scattered throughout this little miniature cave. And our tour guide said, historians and theologians believe that it was in this very cave that John received the revelation. It was in this very place that 95 years of age, the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him and said, John, write these things. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, it really is a grand outline for the remainder of the book. Jesus tells John, John, write down the things that you have seen. And you remember in chapter 1, chapter 1 is this description of, of Jesus Christ in His royal and regal appearance. And, and John records and he writes, now remember chapter 1 and Jesus in His glory and then Jesus told him in, in Revelation 1, 19, he said, John, write down what you see now. And that's Revelation chapter 2 and 3, and that is the seven churches of Asia Minor that we have studied, and really we continue to study because they continue to provide a commentary on ecclesiology, not only then, but also even until this very day. And then Jesus said, and write the things, John, that will happen, that will come to fruition that will come to pass. And that's Revelation, really, chapter 4 through the remainder of the book. And so here we are, we find ourselves really in the heart of the study of Revelation. We have been through the seven 
sealed judgments of God. We're almost through the seven trumpet judgments of God. In fact, we are uh, in six. We're in between six and seven. We're in this interlude, this parenthesis, as somebody would say, this is a divine pause right in the middle of the apocalypse, in the midst of the cataclysmic, horrific, catastrophic judgment of Almighty God being poured out on planet Earth, there is a respite, there is a pause, there is an interlude, and John sees an angel. He sees this angel with one foot in the sea and one foot firmly planted on the earth. And this magnificent, marvelous angel holds within one hand this biblion, this scroll, this book, and then with another hand he raises it high and he pledges allegiance and he pledges an oath to Almighty God. The title of our message today is The Mighty Angel and the Little Book, because that really encompasses what Revelation chapter 10 is all about. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. And that if it's okay with you, I'm just going to preach and uh, we're just going to stop somewhere in between. If I preach this whole sermon, uh, we would run way into the lunch afterward. And, and so I'm just decided last night in my final preparation of this message, I, I'm, I'm going to stop where I had not planned on stopping, but I think you'll be happy. <laughs> I think you'll be happy that I did. Revelation chapter 10, uh, verse 1. Before I forget, let, let, me, let me say something. He said, Brother Danny, what? You, you talked about a great tribulation. You talk about a divine pause. Why is God so mad? <laughs> Why is God pouring out wrath on planet Earth, the Earth dwellers? Why is there these three successive waves of seven where, I mean, one half of the population has already been destroyed, and, and we're only in chapter 10? Well, I thought about this analogy, and it goes something like this. Let's suppose you're a judge. You're a judge. You're someone that upholds the, the law and peace in the land. And someone comes to you, and they, uh, they were intoxicated, and they were above the legal limit. I think it's 0.8, whatever that means. I have no idea. So anyhow, let's say they're at 0.8 or 9, and this guy comes before the judge, and, and, he, and he has an accident, and some people are injured, and he comes before the judge, and he just pleads, judge, please have mercy. And the judge does. He has mercy and basically lets him off. One week later, the same man comes back, alcohol level 2.9. He has killed a family of five now, okay? And he stands before the judge, and that same judge says, it's really okay, no big deal. How would you feel about that judge? Some of you are going, well, I would just be absolutely infuriated, and so you should. Now, if you can exponentially multiply that a million times, you begin to understand a little bit about the justice of God. And God is so awesome. He's so holy and righteous, and yes, He has pardoned. Yes, He has forgiven. In fact, He's done everything He possibly can to redeem a fallen world. He even gave His Son, His only beloved Son, who died, arose from the dead, invites the whole world to come to Him, and the world, by and large, lifts up their fists, they spit in His face, they ridicule Him, they hate Him. What would you do if you were God? So. 
don't, please don't judge God. Some of you have a hard time with this saying, why is God so mad? Wouldn't you be? And so he's a righteous, holy judge, and now it's, it's coming down. Now, I believe, and I sure hope I'm right, in a premillennial, pre-rapture where Jesus comes and gets us out of here before the wrath of God falls on planet earth. If I am wrong, and I am here, and you are here during this time of God's wrath, then let us be faithful until the very end. So here's Revelation chapter 10. It's an interlude, it's a pause, it's a parenthesis in the midst of all the judgments. And it says, and it's very fascinating, John said, I saw still alas. That's a very important word. You may want to write in your Bibles the word A-L-L-O-S. Alos means the same, but of a different kind. And I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. And a rainbow was on his head, his face was like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, a little biblion, a scroll. And he set his right foot on the sea, and his left foot was on the land. And I cried, I, that cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. This angel cries out with a loud voice, Mukaoma, Mukaoma. That's an onomatopoeic poetic language. Onomatopoeia is where it sounds like it is. A hissing snake is an onomatopoeia in the English language. Mukaoma is an onomatopoeia in the Greek language. It, this angel roars, and it sounds literally like a lion roaring, reverberating throughout the heavens. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, John said, I was about to write it down. But I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven. And church family, this is a very solemn, ominous, foreboding moment. I hope I can do it justice when I preach on it in a moment. This angel swore by him who lives forever and ever, literally in the Greek, ages unto ages. And he swore to him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in heaven. This God created earth and the things that are in earth and the sea and the things that are in it. That there should be chronos no longer. That there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again, and he said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went. I went to the angel, and I said to him, Give me this little book. And he said to me, take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey to your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand, and I ate it. And sure enough, it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, 
my stomach became bitter. And then he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, and tongues. Wow. I don't know what your reaction is to that. If you get my newsletter every week, I I try to give you the text to kind of give you preparation for what's coming. So you'll take a little time over the weekend, and you will read it, and you'll come together on Sunday, and you're ready uh, to study it. Um, You know, it reminds me again of Mark Twain. Mark Twain, he says, you know, uh, the parts of the Bible I do not understand, that really doesn't bother me. It's the parts I understand that completely unnerve me and bother me. And, and there, there are some things in this text that I, I admit are hard to understand, and I'm going to give you my interpretation. I'm going to help unpack this for you so that you can understand it. So, and, and I do hope that you'll write within the margins, or if you're interested, you can, you can take this whole manuscript, and you can, you can make a book out of it. Maybe I will one day when I'm finished, and, and you can have all the notes that I have as we walk through this amazing passage of Scripture. Uh, some other writers that I've read said this about chapter 10. David Jeremiah calls it a divine interlude. Henry Morris, who we'll talk about more in just a few moments, he calls it a bittersweet inheritance with reference to the book. John MacArthur says, when God breaks His silence. And Robert Thomas, who arguably has written the greatest commentary on the book of Revelation, said this, it is the preface preface to the seventh seal. So buckle up, and here we go. If you're ready, say amen. Amen. If you're happy and you know it, say amen. Amen. It's all good. Now, here's, here's why it's all good. It's all good because in this text, you are going to be reminded of something that oftentimes you and I forget as we walk this side prior to the coming of Christ. Oftentimes we forget that God is in control. He is absolutely the reigning despot. He is the, as John says in other places, He is the panto crater. He is the almighty God. We get a little glimpse of this when it says, oh, by the way, He created it all. He created what is in the heaven, what is on the earth, and what is in the sea. It's His. He owns it all, and He will judge it, and He will make all things new. And, and really, this, this interlude, this pause, it is, a, it is a place for us to catch our breath and say, oh God, in the midst of trial, oh God, in the midst of difficulty, oh God, in the midst of absolute chaos, I'm so glad to know that you're still on the throne. Somebody needed to hear that today. I don't know what your life is up against. I don't know what your marriage is dealing with. I don't know your financial status. I don't know your health. But this much I know, no matter how bad it gets, God always wins. He's always sovereign. And I, and I want to show you this in this text. In between the sixth and the seventh trumpet judgments, there was a pause. And it's very fascinating, now that we come to these, um, these judgments, there's the same pause. If, if, excuse me. In between the sixth and seventh seal judgment, there's a pause, and here it is again in the trumpet judgments. God 
is just, it's just like he gives John this vision, he shows him this mighty angels, you know, and I want to say almost he's suspended between heaven and earth, but he's really not. He's got one foot on the sea and one foot on the earth, and, and, and it describes him as this fierce, mighty angel of God. Who is this guy? I really want to ask you today, who is this angel? We've never seen anything quite like this angel, and I want to share with you what, who I think he is in, in, in just a moment. But he has this cloud, he has these pillars of feet, he has this rainbow, he has this book, he has this hand that's stretched, and all of it connotes to me the sovereignty of God. And let me ask you a question. If God has always been in control, and God is guiding the, the events and the courses of history, and everything is sizing up precisely as He says it would, cannot that same God guide and control and lead your life and your family and your marriage in our church? Well, to answer that rhetorical question, you know, if you're thinking about it and pondering on it, let me just give you the answer. It's yes, He can. Who is this angel? Well, let's talk about it. Many people, and I disagree with them, but many people believe this is the angel of the Lord. This is Christ. And they base that on some of the similarity of description in chapter 1 of Jesus with this angel in chapter 10. But there are a couple reasons why I don't think that's the case, and I disagree with great men of God like David, Jeremiah, and others who say, oh, this is, this is Christ. And it's because of this little Greek word, another, or allos. So, Verse 10 says, here we have an angel of another kind. You can never describe Jesus as an angel, okay? An angel in the sense of these angelic beings here on, in the book of Revelation. Some people say, but it's the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ. Remember him in the Old Testament? Yes, I do remember him, but that's a whole different context. But here's the main reason I believe, and most conservative, Christian, evangelical scholars believe it's not Christ, is because... The second person of the Trinity would never say what this angel said in verses 5 and 6. He would not make this oath, this pledge. He, he just, Jesus would not say that. This is an angel speaking. Now listen, he's not your ordinary, everyday angel. This is one fierce, angelic being. Look at the way he's described. He has a, a, a rainbow on his head. And one writer says this, the rainbow connotes or denotes more than just heavenly glory or a prismatic effect of a cloud upon the sunlight. No, it betokens mercy in the midst of judgment, as it did in Noah's day. The description of this angel communicates to the reader that, yes, in the midst of destruction and seemingly chaos in the world, God has this heavenly being, and He comes in great power and glory. And you just look at the way He's described. Uh, clothed with a cloud, face like the sun, feet like pillars of fire, one foot on the sea and another on the land, and then this mighty, raging, awesome voice. And John sees it all. And it just, it just reminds me that man, no matter how tough times get, man, God, God's got things we, we ain't never seen before. God, God is so other. He's so powerful. He's so awesome. We've never been introduced to a dude like this. I'm telling you this. What else does God have up there? I mean, this is some mighty, fierce, angelic creature that, and, and, and he has this rainbow about him, which denotes, again, it denotes this, this idea of peace and tranquility, but also uh, of great strength and, and power. 
And then you have these seven thunders, that right in the midst of this angel, there's these seven thunders that utter their voices. And what does that mean? Can I just tell you, I don't have a clue what that means. Some of you are going, but what? I thought you knew everything. Ask my wife, she'll tell you, he, he knows very little. Um, th- these seven thunders that utter their voice, they, we, we don't know what this is except these thunderous voices emanating from heaven, whether it's the voice of God or the voice of angels, I really believe it has to do with future judgments that are to come. And, and God just says, John, don't, don't write that right now. Just seal it up and let it remain quiet. So you have an angel, and number two, you have an announcement. And this is where I could not wait to share with you today, the, the angel. Now, my wife wouldn't say I don't know anything. Okay, let me, let me just... Just correct that, you know, because I do have to go home this afternoon, you know what I'm saying? Oftentimes I say stuff, and, uh, and, I, re- and I think sometimes, why did, why did I say that? Uh, so anyhow, it's all, it's all good. Um, have y'all played this new game on the, com- on, the t- on the computers? It's got this little quiz game. Students, do y'all play it? What is it called? Yes. Is that what it is, Ashley? It's like crack. You get hooked on it, I guess. It's, it's this crazy <laughs> trivia game. I don't know, preacher, it's funny. My, my kids, they think I'm a genius. They say, how do you know all the answers to these things? And I tell them, I'm old. I, that's just, uh, who is the president in 1960? John Kennedy. What? How in the world did you know that? I said, I'm old. It comes with, with, with age. So I don't want to discount myself too much. I do know something. Amen. Now that we got that out of the way, B, announcement. Here's the announcement. Here's what I couldn't wait to get to. Uh, The angel with the little book in his left hand, hand raised, swears or makes an oath uh, to God. Now, uh, Matthew 5, 34 and 35 talks about not taking oaths, and, and, and I was helped with this with John MacArthur when he says, The Bible does not forbid the taking of vows, but rather the evasive swearing of oaths with the intent to deceive. Okay? You see the difference? Because in the Bible, Abraham, Isaac, David, and even God Himself take vows or take oaths, but never with deception. This oath by the mighty angel is a solemn declaration. Now, here it is. This angel swore by him who lives forever and ever. He says, and here's the crux of the matter. He says, it is done. It's done. We're we're about halfway through the great tribulation, but man, things are about to unfold with such rapidity and successive waves and movement like a tsunami. It's going to come and you can't stop it. And it's, there's no delay because chronos here can't mean time. Because there's a lot of time left on earth. There's three and a half years of tribulation. There's a thousand year millennial reign. At least I believe it is. So it can't mean chronos, chronology time, but it can mean delay. There is no more delay. Soon and very soon, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. Does that sound familiar? That's Handel's Messiah, by the way. It's also Revelation 11, 17, or excuse me, 15, where the seventh angel of the trumpets, when he announces that, that literally ushers in the seven bowl judgments, and it is fierce. And the angel says, there's no stopping it. 
It is, it's coming. This oath, and here's my definition of this oath. This is a grand commitment to a future obligatory deed. That's just my own definition, but let me, let me give it to you again. This oath is a grand commitment to a future obligatory deed. In other words, the, the angel says, this is about to happen, and it's sacred, and there's no stopping it. It, it reminds me of a very sacred scene. You got to go back a number of years. The date is April the 30th, 1789. Think with me for a moment. The capital city of the United States of America at that time was where? New York City. In the Federal Hall, on the balcony of the Federal Hall, George Washington is about to take an oath, a pledge, if you will. And there's something very interesting about this, this oath and this pledge. By the way, ever since 1789, all the way up until 2012, the presidents who are sworn in, who are inaugurated, they all are doing this, are they not? What do they have their hands on? Anybody? A Bible. Say, say that again. A Bible. They have their hands on the Bible. Hand, other hand raised. I solemnly swear to protect, to honor, to defend, to do everything I can for the, what's that other sacred document? The Constitution of the United States of America. Now, Washington did something that nobody thought he would do. Well, he did two things. The Constitution does not include the words, so help me God, but George Washington said, so help me God. And then he did something absolutely sublime. He took that Bible and he put it to his face and he literally kissed the Bible. In this solemn oath, this declaration that he as a mere mortal will do everything in his power to fulfill his oath, his, his obligation to honor and defend and protect the Constitution of the United States and God as my witness. Do, do you get it? Do you see the solemnity of it? Do you see the sacredness of it? Do you see this angelic being? with his hand raised and with this little book in his hand. And if you want to know what that little book is, I'll tell you what I think it is next Sunday, okay? Because we, we just are not going to have time to talk about the little book in a minute for a few minutes. It'll take many minutes. So we'll come back next week, okay? But what's interesting to me is this angel is saying, yes, this is going to happen. And I as an angel, all these other angels, we are in honor and allegiance to God, and we're going to help execute His divine will. There's no stopping it. There's no delay. But isn't it interesting the way that the angel describes Almighty God? This is so fascinating to me. Listen, friend, you may not believe in creation, but this angel believes in creation. This angel says the God who created everything in the heavens above in the earth below, in the sea below, God created it all, which tells us a lot. If He created it, then glory to God, He owns it. He owns it all because He spoke it into existence. And the, mm, mm, 
mm, mm. The same God who created it is the God who will consummate it. And if you don't believe that God created it, you think it is absolutely poppycock to say that he is going to consummate it. But I want to go on record and say the same almighty God who spoke it into existence, this awesome creator, amazing deity above all deities, king above all kings who spoke it into existence, glory to God, he's going to bring it all to conclusion and his awesome son will reign. He's going to reign all over this earth. Hallelujah. What a savior. Glory to God. He created it. He owns it. He'll consummate it. If you believe you're the result of billions of years and a primordial soup that burped it all into existence, this is absolute ridiculousness to you. It's fun to come across people who are smart and who still believe the Bible. I like people like that, like George Washington, for example. Like Henry Morris, staunch apologist for creation. He has an interesting phrase here. I want to read it to you, and I'm done. He said, It is significant that the sworn assurance that there will soon be a consummation of all things appeals to the fact that there was a creation of all things. I'm going to read that again. That is so good. It is significant that the sworn assurance that there will soon be a consummation of all things appeals to the fact that there was a creation of all things. Since it did begin in creation, he says, not in some vacuous, destructive law of nature, no. But since the Creator, by definition, cannot be capricious, therefore the universe does have a divine purpose and that purpose will surely be consummated. I didn't know Henry Morris uh, spent so much time in Texas. As I was studying his life, in fact, he, he went to Rice University. In fact, he went back to Rice and became a professor there in engineering at Rice. And then he went on to the University of Minnesota, and he earned his degree in hydraulics. And then he earned his Ph.D. degree in hydraulics, and then he went on to become a professor at, at different places, and he ends up being a professor, literally, over all the civil engineering department at Virginia Tech University. Go Hokies, back in my old home place where we used to live in Virginia. This man was a genius, was a brilliant mind, and he believed that God created it all just like Genesis says. He believed that God created it, God sustains it, and God will consummate it. Well, can you imagine the geology and the biology professors in the 70s, they were like, Dr. Morris, you, you got to tone this stuff down. I mean, we don't believe in that. We're teaching all of our students that it's all random chance. There's really no difference in them and the monkeys. So they can go live and sleep and do like they want to do, like we do, because there's no God. We don't, we, don't, we don't want to talk about that. We don't want to kill their fun, you see. So you got to tone this thing down. And they, they had a hard time because he was such a brilliant genius of a scientist. For a while, they just said, well, just keep doing what you want to do. We just got to keep you. But eventually, they just said, you got to stop. And so he quit. He resigned. I was talking to a preacher friend of mine on the phone yesterday, and he He's getting himself in a little trouble. 
and uh, he's probably, he's probably going to get terminated. And, and I told him, I said, well, if you get terminated for standing on what you're standing on, then that's okay. Because you believe in what you believe. You believe the Bible says this, and by the way, I believe it too. And it reminded me of a quote Dr. Patterson said, every pastor, if he's not fired at least once, is not worth his salt. And I, <laughs> I don't know about that. I hope I never experienced that. So, the thing I wanted to leave with you, more than anything, and really for me, because some weeks as a preacher you have a week like I had this week, and you, and you, need, to, you need to be told this, God is in control. It matters not what people say about you, it matters not how difficult the road may become, God is in control. And if God can sovereignly create the world, sustain it by the breath of His power, consummate it in the end, can He not take care of you and me? Thank you, Lord. Well, we'll stop. I'll pray. I'll pray for you. Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Uh, we're going to have our time of invitation and we're going to have a time of celebrating changed lives. And, and I guess two or three hundred of us are going to go to a lunch and celebrate all the good things that God is doing in our student ministry, and we're grateful. If you're here today, friend, and you've heard this message, and I want to encourage you to listen to it with all of your heart. Believe. Believe it for the sake of the authority of the Scriptures that God is in control. God does love you. God does have a plan for you. And He invites you to embrace His Son and be born again by the Spirit of God and believe the, the holy book. Hold on to it in the midst of the tsunami of intelligentsia and academia and all these philosophies and ideologies and worldviews that directly oppose everything that I've shared with you today, from creation to sustenance to consummation. But hey, we've all, we're all going to believe something. So I want to encourage you to believe in the Scriptures. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Would you today, some of you for the very first time, give your life to Christ. Surrender your will, your volition, your mind, your emotions, your all to Him. Be be saved from this perverse and wicked generation. Allow the Spirit of God to come into you even now through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Would you do that? If you're listening to us, and I know many of you are, probably had four or five hundred people watching us on internet last week alone. And if you're one of those watching us on internet, would you heed this message? Would you believe before it is too late? God has given you breath in your lungs. Believe on Him and be saved this very day. If you're here today and you just need encouragement, man, you just need somebody to say, man, I want to pray and just ask God's favor and blessing upon you. You're doing the right thing. You're believing the right things. Don't give up. Don't back down. Don't wave the white flag of surrender in the midst of prevailing opposition. Stand your ground. Stand your faith in Christ. Some of you need to do that today. Some of you need just encouragement to be motivated and reminded that God is in control. 
I need to be reminded of that. I needed to be reminded of that. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, well, best I know, I, I can't live the Christian life alone. I need to get involved in a body of Christ. I need to be a part of a local church. And you do. And we, we welcome you. We would invite you to come and go through the process of really searching out if this is the place that God would have you come and serve and live and do life, give your tithes, give your offerings, give your service to Christ here at Great Hills. And we, we invite you to do that. We, we would be honored if you would come and say, I am open to this becoming my church home. So Lord God, today with many decisions, many things on our mind and on our hearts, Father, we come today with a sense of expectancy and a sense of joy because we know the author. We know who's going to bring everything to fruition. We, we know it's you, God, and we're grateful and we trust you. I pray today that you would bless, you would convict, you would draw people into yourself in this place at this moment, for I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, please? We'll have our invitation. And we invite you to come as we have pastors and counselors. Maybe you just need to come to the altar. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you, encourage you. We offer this to you at this time as you come.